Hi everyone, Air here. If you thought this episode was powerful, just like me, I want to invite you to make a difference. Right now, all over the world, there are hundreds of thousands of victims of sexual assault and human trafficking fighting for their lives and fighting for their mental health. We have a nonprofit called Flying With Air Women Survivors that is registered as a 5013C in the state of Florida. We want to donate, we want to give, and we want to support our survivors. This nonprofit is dedicated to partnering survivors of sexual assault and human trafficking with an online therapist. This way they can receive their mental health care that they so need and deserve. Please take a moment and go to flyingwithair.org slash give and make your donation today. Every dollar counts and every dollar makes a difference for a survivor. Thank you. Hi everyone, Air here. Today we have a special guest with us. In fact, it's our first survivor to Thriver story for the show. I have Yaritza with us, or I call her Yadi for short because I've got to know her a little bit more. She's going to tell us a transformational journey story of how she overcame her sexual assaults and turned into the powerful, strong woman that she is today. How are you today, Yaritza? Hi, Air. I am wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I know. I know. It's going to be amazing. It's a dark story, right? It is. But it's a story with a happy ending, and it's a story that is going to impact thousands of women's lives. So I agree. I'm going to go ahead and give a little bit of a disclaimer, right? So it's like, we got to be fair to our audience. we got to be fair to our listeners. If you are someone that has witnessed sexual assault or has been a victim of sexual assault, this might not be the best story for you just yet until you're a little bit further on your healing journey. And then I don't want anybody to be triggered during this episode. So as I ask questions, if you feel like that might not be a good question for you personally to hear the answer to just yet, then please go ahead and fast forward about five minutes in between questions. But other than that, for all the survivors out there and all the thrivers, like the two people at the table right now, I want this story to light you guys on fire to make the next step in your healing journey. So, Yadi, yes. and I always want to say Yadi, Yadi, Yadi. <laughs> <laughs> Yadi, please tell us a little bit about your survivor story. Yes, ma'am. So my story does start at the age of 13 years old. Um, I was assaulted by a family member who at that time was 18 years old. Mm. I'm going to explain the night a little bit. Um, He had invited me to go out with him and some friends. I went over normal Saturday night. Um, I was given a bottle to drink. Um, Just to give you some context, in my family, uh, we started drinking at an early age. I am Latina Mm -hmm. uh, with Latin roots. And um, that was something that within the family, it was accepted. So he gave me a bottle. We went out. I had a bottle to myself. It made me feel special. Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up getting really sick uh, where he ended up taking me back to his home, into his room, He helped me get undressed. Um, I then lay in his bed, kind of blacked out, uh, sick, really. As I was falling asleep, I had felt him 
turned my body and um, that's when the assault happened. And, um, you know, I, I froze in that moment. I did. I, you know, there's fight, flight, freeze. And in that moment, I just could not believe what was going on. Um, that someone so dear to me, so close to me, a relative, a cousin mm -hmm. can violate me. Um, as a child. As a child. Did that and, make you feel alone or? Oh, yes. I, I felt alone. I felt impure, ashamed. I actually felt dirty. Um, I felt like I wasn't worth anything anymore because my virginity has been taken from me at such a young age without my consent. So that did weigh heavily on me. And then at 13, did you go forward immediately or did you have something that maybe held you back at that time? No. So in reality, I did not want my life to be interrupted by this. Um, I thought I would destroy the family. I would be blamed. I would be called a liar. I would be shunned. And um, thereafter, um, I came forward 10 years later, which everything I feared came true. Oh, goodness. And I, I'm definitely going to go into that further. But I first I wanted to ask you a little bit, because we're going to kind of go back and forth between, you know, that night, the in-between, and then, you know, today. So how does that survivor story influence your studies and your intimate relationships today? Right. So I always, since I was a child, had a passion to help people. That was my intention. So um, after this incident, I went into college majoring in child advocacy, and I minored in psychology because I wanted to help other children that went through what I went through, what I had experienced. So, um, and in my romantic relationships, um, I remember telling a boyfriend of mine at the time that, you know, I just felt dirty and disgusted and unwanted and certain sex positions did trigger me. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was um, traumatizing during that time. And then you said at that time, I'm assuming this might be a little bit older whenever you did become, you know, by yes. choice, sexually active, not at 13. So right. when you said a boyfriend, about what age would that have been? I want to say I may have been 19, 20 years old. I was already in college. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause so was much older than 13. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And then... You said you almost coming forward in like child abuse and neglect in class. Did that like come up in a certain way or was there a moment that kind of led to that? Right. So I was in a child abuse and neglect course. And I remember at the end of the class, they showed or we were being taught um, signs of abuse, neglect, sexual abuse. And there was something within me that wanted to come forward with my story. Although in my mind, I knew I was taking this to the grave. I knew that this was something that I was going to hold on to forever within me. I said, I'm not going to tell a soul, but I did feel the pressure of needing to fight for myself before I can fight for any child or anyone else. And that weighed pretty heavy on my heart. Mm -hmm. It just shows you have a great heart, Yari. Thank you. So you came forward 10 years later. You didn't come forward in college. So tell us about that moment. That time, did you mean to come? Was it like intentional or was it like, a okay, I have to tell it now type of thing? 
It definitely was not intentional. As I said, I was going to take this story to the grave. I want everyone to understand that. Um, it actually happened in 2015, Thanksgiving, out of all holidays. Mm. Um, this person came to a Thanksgiving dinner um, uninvited. And I was actually um, given a choice by a date that I invited to the party. So as my date and I were walking out of our Thanksgiving dinner, um, the person came in, the person that assaulted me walked in and I remember I ignored him and I remember uh, my date kind of just, sh they shook hands and my world shook and mm. at that moment because I couldn't believe I was looking at two people, one person that cared deeply about me that I believe had some love for me and then another person who completely violated me and stripped me from my innocence and I, sh I started shaking. I mean, we walked to his car and I remember telling him like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm sharing this with you. And he gave me two choices and the choices were um, either go inside and kick him out or he was going to go inside and break his face. And I actually believe that because he was a boxer. <laughs> so um, I knew he would follow through with that. And I told him I would do my part and kick him out. So um, I did just that. And, um, you know, before I knew in that moment that I was going to have to go to the authorities because I wasn't going to confront um, this person without doing something about it. I already knew I was too educated by this point. I already was graduating with my degree and I knew that for me, right? I was like, if this comes to light, it's not just going to be ha handled within the family. Mm -hmm. I have a duty and I'm going to follow through. So, yeah. And then I think you're from New Jersey. Is that I am, right? I am from New Jersey. And I don't think there's a statue of limitations in New Jersey, is there? There is not, which is a blessing. And I feel all states... And all countries should um, apply that. Mm. There's a lot of places I know that could benefit from that. Mm. And then how did it feel afterwards? Did you feel like any certain type of way, like a weight maybe? Or, you know, like how did that work out for you? Yes, ma'am. So did you just call me ma'am? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't, I can't take you seriously anymore now. No. I'll, I'll forgive you this time, Yadis. Yes, Aaron. So, <laughs> so when I did come forward, I initially went to the police station, my local police station, and then I was transferred to a special victims unit mm. where um, they recorded my testimonial. And as soon as the detective stopped the recording, I felt as if a boulder has been lifted off of my chest. I literally felt physically lighter i don't know how to explain that hmm. i don't there's no science behind it but i felt physically lighter after telling my story i feel like spirituality is going to explain that one day Definitely. like the energy lifting mm. and then i bet it felt like an angel for that boyfriend for you oh yes he you know during that time i love to say and i, I love to think that god sends us angels when we need it most and that was a moment where I needed to tell my truth. It wasn't a moment that I planned it or expected it. Um, but I do like to think that I have a few angels in my life that were sent to me. 
believe it too. I believe a lot of good angels are looking out for you. Thank you. So I have to ask. So a big reason why you kept it to yourself for so long was because you didn't know how your family would respond. Right. So 10 years later, how did they respond? Wow. So just to provide some context, we were a really close knit family and, um, I was hopeful that um, they would at least ask me what was going on, but I was immediately shunned when I came forward. Um, it was hurtful. Um, they said a lot of things, you know, they did. And, and I was especially shocked because I have a family full of women, right? And, um, you know, I did come forward and I spoke to my mother and I had to tell her before I was going to testify. And, um, you know, she just really wanted me to sweep it under the rug. And something within me tells me that maybe someone told her to do that. Mm. Maybe this is bigger than I am. Right. During that time, I couldn't process that. I was just so hurt. And I was I couldn't believe that this woman that I would have done anything for that birthed me wouldn't support me in a moment that I needed her. Um, but I know that it's I'm doing something that's really breaking generational curses. That's what I was thinking, actually. Cycles, yeah. Like, you know, I don't know what traumas, I don't know their stories, um, but I know mine and I know my truth. And I'm just blessed. I'm privileged and fortunate enough to be educated and born here in a country where I can practice um, my voice and I can stand up for myself and I'm actually glad I did not come forward at 13 years old because I can't imagine the rejection and the betrayal um, that I experienced at 22 years old I can't imagine going through that as a 13 year old mm. um, which is why I know God had something to do with all of it and everything you know the time frame that I came forward was important I was questioned about a lot I was you know the time why am I coming forward so late uh, what was I doing drinking with this man mm -hmm. I'm trying to destroy this man's life <laughs> yeah, but you no. were a baby you were 13 yeah. and again a man an 18 year old so you're you have a family full of women now like okay mom wasn't on the same page right we can take that for whatever we need to take that as right correct what about like an aunt or a grandmother or, you know, probably, I'm going to say grandmother. How did grandmother react? Yeah, so um, actually my grandmother was the one that said um, that I was trying to destroy his life, that we were playing a game. Um, and that, At 13? At 13. You're not well, playing the was, game at 13, sweetheart. Yeah. <sighs> you know, and like I said, this brings me back to breaking a culture of silence. Uh, breaking a curse uh, within the family or just within the culture itself. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's just not, it's unheard of to take family problems to the authorities, mm -hmm. right? Everything is handled internally, but um, I don't believe that. What I am hearing though is they didn't question it. Right. So did anybody like... And I'm glad they didn't question it because that means they at least believed you on some level. Yeah. But how did that go? So, no, they didn't question it. And they didn't because 
um, there was actually an instance where he wasn't allowed around the family for a while um, due to he it seems like he developed a pattern of sending explicit photos to other family members so it was like inappropriate to younger cousins of mine and it was just inappropriate and they didn't no one called me a liar pretty mm. much right they just couldn't believe that I would step above the family and go to the police you and actually do yourself. something about it yeah I'm glad you stuck up for yourself I am too okay so no one called you a liar no but I'm imagining like how did that betrayal feel for you oh my god you know, the betrayal, I explain it this way. I feel like the betrayal hurt me more than the act itself. And maybe some people don't understand that, but I held my family so close to my heart. I did, you know, I was the child who pretty much took them all to... Um, their doctor's appointments, I would translate paperwork. I was, you know, not a perfect child, but I was a good child that stood by their side. And, you know, just to not even be approached by certain cousins that were close to me, um, aunts that just didn't even ask if I was okay, um, that hurt the most. And especially by my mother. Um, I've learned to forgive her over the years, especially through therapy, mm -hmm. um, constant practice. And the dynamic of the relationships have changed, but that betrayal, um, I was re-traumatized again, and I feel even worse, mm. to be honest. I know a lot of stories that I've had the privilege to learn, even though it wasn't a privilege at all for them mm. to have to go through it, and I wish I hadn't had to learn them, but the survivors I worked with, they physically have to leave a place yeah. in order to start their healing journey. Was that the case for you or did you stay in New Jersey? No, I, you know, moving to Miami was that defining factor. It was like, I knew I wanted to live in Miami. I came for my 21st birthday. I loved it. <laughs> but I was like, oh, I'm going to save up some money and move out there when I'm all set. And I was living happily at my mother's house right before I came forward. And um, I could not live under a roof where my mother wouldn't even acknowledge me. She wouldn't even look at me anymore. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I realized I need to leave. You know, we lived, we were so close that everyone within the family lived about like a five to 10 mile radius from each other. So I was too close to the people that hurt me the most. And um, that was like the defining factor of me moving to Miami when I did with $1,200 in my pocket. <laughs> I mean, you're bold, Yeah, you're strong, you're yeah. here. So let me kind of picture this a little bit deeper here. So you have these trials though, right? You It did go to trial or? It sure did. Okay, it yeah. went to trial. Yeah. So yeah. the authorities definitely had to have taken your statement and, you know, believed you and put you on the right track for justice. Yes, ma'am. So describe a little bit how that trial went. Yeah, so <laughs> trial was drawn out. Uh, between 2015 and 2019. So meanwhile, I'm having to live this trauma for these years, right? Telling the story. How many years was that? Four. Four years. Four years of right. turmoil, essentially. Correct. Yeah. So <clears throat> um, the first jury was hung. 
which basically means that the jurors could not unanimously decide if he was guilty or not guilty. Okay. So it was retried for a second trial. And okay. Which is re-traumatizing all over again. Correct. Because I had to take the stand both times in front of him um, and tell my story. And the second one was hung as well. Um, you know, in the beginning, I, especially after getting that, re- you know, the results, I was like, or that verdict, I kind of felt let down or maybe I did something wrong. Um, at the first trial? Yeah, at both. Getting both okay. of them being hung, I felt like maybe I did something wrong. But then I started to recognize, as you mentioned, at the second trial, that someone believed me. Whether it was one person out of 12 or whether it was 11 and one person did not. Either way, someone in that jury believed me and that meant the world Mm -hmm. so one thing I do want to highlight about my um, going to trial is like the way that I spoke right like the difference between and how much I cope between the two so help me real quick though sorry yes ma'am how much stop calling me (laughs) ma'am she's like so polite guys and I'm like no we are the same age stop calling me ma'am Goodness gracious. Okay. We I'll shouldn't be la- This really is serious, but you just keep making me laugh by calling me ma'am. But it's because you are so empowered, right? And I you am. do have so much strength that you can tell your story and still smile every Absolutely. day. Absolutely. So, like, I want that to be very strong across. It's like, yes, yeah, she can laugh with me because she is healing and yeah. she's constantly working on that and she is healed as a woman. So, just because we Google, it's because we're also, you know, friends and we want to empower each other. But, my bad. Stop calling me. <laughs> but tell me, how much time was in between the trials? Only a few months. Very little time. Very little time. Okay. Yeah. So the first one was in May 2019 and the second one was in September of 2019. Okay. So, so I, was, I thought it was over in May until they said we're going to try again. And we did in September. And... Um, so you were talking about the emotional differences Correct. before I asked you between the timeline. So what was the differences for the first trial emotionally versus the second trial? Right. So during the first trial, when I testified, I was hysterical, right? This is the first time I'm confronting um, my offender. And it was, it, it was, I was terrified to be up there in front of a mic telling these people, these strangers, my story. So I was literally choking over my words. Now, the second time, and I smile because even just with that, like you just mentioned, that was such a short time. And I was able to, during the second time that I testified, I was more composed. I was more conservative, like conserved. And I felt stronger already because I had already faced him. Mm. It's a little bit of justice in itself. It's like to say in front of everybody, you did this. Correct. Yeah. That's so strong, Yadi. (laughs) Okay. Sorry, I had to take a deep breath, guys, because like it's emotionally taxing to share these stories too for everybody involved, right? So, okay. Tell me about kind of like who was there or who wasn't there or, you know, 
Was anybody present at these trials? Yeah. His family. So, yeah. So during the first time I had um, my, one of my sisters was present, a girlfriend's mother was present and a best friend of mine was present. I was so grateful. And then my advocate um, on his side during both trials, no one was present as I testified. When I testified, no one showed up. Okay, so no one in your family other than the perpetrator or the person accused, right, showed up for either of you all, right? Right. On the day you testified. On the day that I testified. I wonder why, but you're going to tell me probably. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so I like to believe that they just didn't want to hear my truth. Um, They probably couldn't live with it after hearing it, but God is so good and God is big and I feel as though there was this higher power in the room and um, I say that because during the second trial um, the day that um, they were going to say the verdict the jury actually requested to hear my testimony again to replay it and that day girl Almost the majority of my family was behind him. So they had to sit there and listen to my story no matter what. I have like full body chills about that. Because I imagine your parents or his parents or maybe even like people that had supported, you know, or not even know how to think about it, right? Maybe just other people in the family, like hearing it for the first time mm-hmm. from your lips. Right. Kind of whether they wanted to or not. Right. Right. A lot of them were emotional. I was emotional, of course. Um, but the truth came out. The truth came to light. And I know that this is why I had to come forward and share my story. So tell me, was there ever a moment during either of these trials that you were like, okay, that was actually worth it? Absolutely. As traumatizing as it was and as challenging, and this was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life, right? There was a few moments where I said, this is worth it. You know, the first one I want to say happened immediately after my second trial. Um, I went to the zoo. I went to the zoo with my sister, my nephew, and um, I just needed some air like you. (laughs) Like breathe, guys. Like breathe. And we go to the zoo, and I happen to bump into a juror from the second trial. So it's a coincidence, right? Like, for him to be at the same place. That's God playing. God's having some fun at this point. At this point, yes. (laughs) So the juror, was it male or female? I'm just curious because, like, that makes a difference for most people. He was a male. Okay, a male juror. A father. A male father juror bumps into you at the zoo immediately after the trial. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yes, air. (laughs) I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. So, I don't even know what what happened. (laughs) So, I just remember us meeting there like the tiger. Uh, There was like a, you know... um, a point where both paths lead to the middle and it was by the tiger and he was with his child who was a son and his wife. Mm -hmm. And 
I just looked at him and he looked at me and, you know, he just, oh my God, I always get emotional when I say this because this really validates God's presence in my life and in my story. But he looks at me and he says, I don't know what happened in that courtroom, but I believe you. And I am so sorry for what happened. And that just validated everything. That moment, and I like to believe that maybe he was the juror that said, I believe you. And I'm sorry. I'm sure there was many jurors that believed you. I believe you. Like, I've heard your story in full. I've heard your story as we're going through it. And there's something about survivors that I've learned. I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent. Um, they have this certain fire that gets put in their eyes. And when that happens, it makes them stronger than anything else the world will ever throw at them. And I've worked with a lot of survivors over the years. And that's kind of the underlining underbelly that I've seen with every single one of them. Even if they didn't tell me their story. Like, even if it was transgenerational or it was a different type of survivor story. Maybe it wasn't sexual assault, but it was they're a refugee or they're a cancer survivor or they're a survivor of, you know, something. That's actually my coined words from, like, all my books is we're all survivors of something. something. So they have that fire in their eyes and you have that fire in your eyes. So just to be your second juror, if you will. I believe you. Thank you. So, after going through both trials, felt stronger. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I felt, honestly, that allowed me to pursue anything and everything thereafter. I mean, you know, even just getting access, you know, after I completed um, the trials, I then sought therapy, hmm. which this year I officially make three years of going to therapy. So I'm kind of in maintenance mode now, which is why I feel empowered, um, truth, and just love and strong, right? I feel so strong and I have, um, I feel like I can do anything just because I looked someone in the eye and told him like, I know what you did. And I, and mm -hmm. I didn't, I have to like put this out there. Like I didn't just tell him, I did something. I also told people that can do something about it. Mm. And although, I mean, you know, after the second trial, um, it was kind of dropped at that point. Now everyone in the family knows, um, you know, and he has to live with that. And he can't do it again. Even if he even tried, it would just, I would imagine I be nipped not. in the bud. Right. So what I'm hearing is that you do it again. <laughs> Right. So if I, I, I wake up every day, right. And I, mm -hmm. I like to say the beach is my backyard living in sunny Isles beach. Mm -hmm. And I walk every morning on the beach and I just thank God every single day for my journey, my story, my life, because it catapulted me to where I am today. Um, and that's, you know, every morning when I wake up, I, I say it's worth it. I would do it again. 
because the life that I have now, um, I still have my challenges. Um, I'm still out here, an entrepreneur, making it work, but I am a thriver now. Mm. And I can say that with confidence and I believe it, which is so powerful. How long have you been here? How long has it been since the trials? Yes. So I've been, so, oh my God, this week I celebrate my seventh anniversary of, from when I moved to Miami. So this is important. You know, this is important for me because when I first got here, it was a struggle bus. I was on the struggle bus for weeks and, um, you know, Same here. <laughs> yeah. when I got to Miami, I had a lemon of a car. Mm. It was literally it broke down two months after I moved here and I had a basket of clothes. That's all I had. What you about know, you? I came down here, <laughs> right, with my Honda Civic and it was packed with my clothes and my shoes and the room that I was supposed to rent, it, it was rented out. The job I was supposed to get they put a freeze on the new hires. Like everything went to shit when I came down here. But I was like, there's nothing for me to go back to. Mm, sink or swim, girl. I have to swim. I'm going to swim. I'm Pisces. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get through this. I see what you did there. I see it. I'm yeah. even pointing at her now, guys. She's clever and strong and empowered. Yeah. And I'm just going to feed your ego all night long here. Mm-hmm. So... Seven is also a holy number. That's a number of completion and divinity. So I think that's beautiful. This year, this story, it's so intentional. And to tell it on the public like platform at seven years too, that's divine. That's God's work. Mm, Thank you. I received that. Okay. So what does Yachty look like today? So as you all know, I, well, I'm going to tell you right now, I love myself. (laughs) Good. I love you too. I love the woman that I am. I love, I am the woman that I am today because of my past, my trauma, my story. Um, You know, today I can now say this year I will make two years um, from when I graduate, I'm sorry, from when I quit my nine to five job and became an entrepreneur. So I am a wellness coach. I'm a nutritional advisor with my partner, um, CJ. Mm, There's a boy. Oh, man. Sorry. A grown man, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you called me ma'am, so I'm calling him boy. I am petty like a Gemini. (laughs) But I like to say, you know, um, our business. Sorry, CJ, I love you. (laughs) Our business is called Power Couple Fitness, and we call all of our members our PCF family. And we do that intentionally. I feel um, that we created this family. We pour into them. We strengthen them, their mindset, physical, their spirit. We want them to walk out from meeting us, working with us as their highest self, as if they're capable of doing anything. Because, um, you know, we don't just focus on fitness and nutrition. This is a whole mindset shift. Um, Mm -hmm. We teach them. We even go into mental health. We have contracted recently a licensed therapist to work on our team Hmm. Um, so everything that we do is with intention it's with purpose I am also as you already know in a thriving (laughs) and healthy relationship with my partner as you all heard I was I used to be triggered um, in certain positions and you know intimate relationships and I am so grateful that I've overcome that and um, 
you know, I'm thriving with my partner, someone that I feel safe with. I always tell him that you make me feel safe. And that's the most important thing that a woman uh, wants yeah. in a relationship. Like, men always think it's about the money or the looks or how tall they mm. are. But at the end of the day, and this is not just for survivors. I think this is all women yeah. and all, like, non-binary and, you know, everything the whole category. That's just what I'm trying to say. They just want to feel safe. safe. And men want to feel safe, too. Agree. I feel like that's the underlining thing. Yeah. But he just, he allows you to speak your truth, too. And I know he was a huge advocate for you actually coming on board and Absolutely. sharing your story. Absolutely. So, okay. So, I'm not going to tie up too much more of your time, but I do have a bonus question, okay? Um, this is a bonus for myself, guys. And, guys, a bonus for you all listening as well. So, why was it important that you shared your personal survivor to thriver story with everyone today? Thank you so much for asking me this. This is so important. Um, as I mentioned, this is my year seven in Miami. Seven is the number of fulfillment. And um, I like to think that I speak for millions of women all over the world. Um, I like to think that by me practicing voicing my story, sharing my experiences, that it can help someone, even just one person, whether that's if they're ready to come forward or if they're just struggling, being a survivor and struggling in a relationship to have hope, mm -hmm. um, whether it's they're in the midst of thinking, should I go to therapy? Is it even worth it? Is it going to help? I'm an advocate for therapy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um you know, I, I am really privileged to live in a country, especially as a colored woman, to be able to practice my rights and share my story to the public. It's And not only to the public, but to try it, mm. you know, in the court of law. That's so important. Even if the outcome wasn't what I right initially hoped for, it was still damn good. Like, <laughs> oh, I, as I mentioned, I would do it again. And, um, you know, my purpose, this is important for me to say, my purpose is for sharing my story is bigger than anyone's feelings about it, hmm. right? Like, whether this makes someone feel uncomfortable, whether this makes someone um, judge me in any kind of way, I have no care <laughs> about any of that. This is my opportunity to shine a light on my story so that I can heal further mm -hmm. um, with my intention to help but also so that I can stand up and I can help a woman across the world maybe in a place like India where there's no rights or there's no law against sexual assault or sexual harassment that there's a social caste where certain people are not allowed to speak up and practice their rights so I feel finally that I'm doing justice for not only myself, but for a lot, millions of women all over the world. Mm. And that feels so good to say. It does. I can share that one with you for sure. I know that over, I've been out a little bit longer than you, <laughs> but I know that it's been a little bit of a whirlwind trying to, you know, make people understand or hope that they understand and can't make anybody understand, right? That my story and your story was for us mm. first and foremost. Absolutely. Secondary, yes, it does have impact. 
And I know that you're becoming more public with your story and you'll see this as you grow and you heal further and you share further. And through my experiences also, the more I shared, yes, I felt more healed. Yeah. But I had more people come up to me just like I'm coming up to you and saying it made a difference Mm. and it makes an impact and it makes the next woman stand up and it makes these little boys, even though they're parading as men, realize that enough is enough and we're speaking up and we're done with it. We're changing the system. We're changing the rules. We're speaking out here in the United States on Black History Month with a colored woman on the podcast, right? right. That's right. That way in India, we will get those, you know, rights, right? We'll get those turned. And not just, you know, in India, but also here in the U.S. Absolutely. It's a little bit of my tangent now. Mm. This is my soapbox, guys. Get ready for it. (laughs) Go for it, girl. I'm here for it. (laughs) We're here for it. Here in the United States, in the land of the free, Mm. right? In the land of opportunity, in the land of we're supposed to be equal as women to men, we still have issues with the Adult Survivor Act. We still have issues of being able to no longer prosecute after so many years in a majority of states, including Florida, including New York City, including LA and California, all of these different places that we're supposed to be quote unquote up with the times or woke, <laughs> like whatever you want to call it. Quote unquote free. Free. There we go. Liberty. And we don't have any liberation, mm. right? Why is it that in New York, after four years, you're done? Like, if you were 13 and four years, you were still a minor at 17, right? So that is my soapbox. I will stay to it, stay strict about it. But I recognize that. (gasps) I recognize that. And that's why I also felt like the urgency to do something about it. This wasn't just going to be a conversation internally and, oh, we'll see. I don't need an apology. You know what I mean? I mean, that would be nice. Hey. <laughs> Always. Please. But, but it's not going to be enough for me but personally. But not enough. Yeah. It isn't. So you apologize until you're blue in the right. face, but it's yeah. not going to be enough. You know, I just hope that my my survivors out there, um, you too can be a thriver. You're not alone. Um, and I'm grateful for you, Air, for having me here today to share my story. This was an honor to be here. I love you so much. (laughs) It was an honor for me is what you Mm -hmm. meant, right? (laughs) So tell me, Yalitza. Yes. I feel like I finally got it right at the very end. Yes. So how do people find you? Like, what's about that? How do people find you? I know that you do the Powered Fitness Couple. like Power Couple Fitness. Power Couple (laughs) Fitness. You called me (laughs) ma'am. We're doing that. Okay. So... Um, my Instagram is Yadi Body. My um, Power Couple Fitness Instagram is um, Power P O W R Couple Fitness. Uh, you can also see all of the people that we've helped transform their lives, um, their testimonials, their stories on our website at powercouplefitness.com. Perfect. So if you want to work with Yadi, or CJ, they're a coward couple, um, go ahead and reach out to them via Instagram or on their website. And then also, if you want to work with us more on the spirituality and the mindset, you can reach out with us at flyingwithair.com. We have our coaching available there too. We're partnered with them now. We love them. They support us. Mm-hmm. We support them. But until then, 
thank you guys for listening to Yari's story. That is, there's my accent coming out, Yari's story. And thank you so much for healing with us. It is happening. Our Costa Rica retreat is now available for signing up, and I will be there with you all. We are going to Costa Rica, a sacred spiritual place that is filled with not only amazing forestry and waterfalls, but also a essence that you have to be there to be able to fully understand. We have a full January 12th through 15th lineup of both Western and Eastern practices to help you not only grow on your spiritual journey, but also heal from any setbacks or trauma that has been holding you back for too long. I am so grateful and have been working very hard with Tanya, my co-host, to make sure that this is everything it needs to be for you all, including a self-defense class, Tantra, NLP, plant ceremonies, and more. So go ahead and check it out on the flyingwithair.com website where you can not only put in your $500 deposit, but you can also go ahead and take advantage of that early bird special. We have a limited amount of spots and I definitely want to see you there. If you've ever needed spiritual coaching or you wanted to come around like-minded individuals, now is your moment. Until then, good vibes and love and thank you for healing and growing with me today. Hi everyone, Air here. If you thought this episode was powerful, just like me, I want to invite you to make a difference. Right now, all over the world, there are hundreds of thousands of victims of sexual assault and human trafficking fighting for their lives and fighting for their mental health. We have a nonprofit called Flying With Air Women Survivors that is registered as a 5013C in the state of Florida. We want to donate, we want to give, and we want to support our survivors. This nonprofit is dedicated to partnering survivors of sexual assault and human trafficking with an online therapist. This way they can receive their mental health care that they so need and deserve. Please take a moment and go to flyingwithair.org give and make your donation today. Every dollar counts and every dollar makes a difference for a survivor. Thank you.